Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. We really would love to come at you with something different these days, but we're in the COVID-19 pandemic, and we're going to keep uh, bringing you the most up-to-date information we can. In today's episode, I've got my medical director, Dr. Rob Dixon, here joining us. Good afternoon, Casey. And we're going to talk about how to tackle the COVID airway and some of the differences, some of the changes that we've had to make over the past two weeks and really, these these are pretty huge, right? This is not these are not minor changes. Yeah, our practice of medicine, guys, is different than it was two weeks ago. And and my hope is that that this is will give you some great information on how to safely proceed in this this new uh, era we find ourselves in. And like everyone, we spent the past two or three weeks trying to gather, synthesize, implement best practices when approaching these airways, trying to keep both our patients safe, but also the provider safe. If we're not there to care for these patients, then they're in, they're in big trouble. Before we get into the meat, these aren't the only ways. These aren't necessarily even the best ways, but they are the tools that we've chosen here at MCHD uh, to implement. There's a flood of information coming out of China, South Korea, Italy, some peer-reviewed, most of it anecdotal, I found that if you want to support really any algorithm, keep looking and you can find someone or some specialty body who will support you. So the approach in in this discussion today is a variation on what seems to be about 80% of the critical care ICU best practice out there. Got to give special thanks to uh, one of Dr. Dixon and I's colleagues, Tim Ellender, critical care ICU EM at Indiana University. Also drawn a lot from uh, Josh Farkas and Scott Weingard at MCRIT and PUMCRIT, Safe Airway Society down under in Australia, many others. Again, this is what seems to me to be the 80% uh, best practice. So let's start with the basics. How is the virus transmitted? What makes the airway dangerous? Right. So it's fairly simple stuff. It's droplets, right? Spit. Uh, so our first order of business is put a surgical mask on the patient, right? Reduce that risk. Uh, even before then, before you have patient contact, if you, you're walking up and the patient looks stable, keep two meters away, six feet away in the, in the respiratory patient and double check. Are there any respiratory symptoms that are concerning? Do you need to add additional PPE? This protects us from their droplets. Can these droplets aerosolize? Yes. You know, and I guess the, the question to me is, how does that happen, right? So it gets more dangerous. It becomes aerosolized spit. Um, really anytime it sprays. So a, a cough can aerosolize it from the patient. That's hence the surgical mask, anything high flow, for example, a non-rebreather or anything with high pressure, uh, non-invasive positive pressure ventilation, CPAP or BiPAP, and really anything else, Casey, that's invasive. So tracheal intubation, superglottics, deep airway suctioning, or particularly nebulized medications. And lastly, really pretty importantly, doffing PPE, any of these can, can aerosolize the droplets. So today, guys, we've got four simple rules. Um, and I'm going to start with rule number one, and, and Casey's going to tell you about it. But in this era, less is more. So we, and what do we mean by less is more? You know, we've got reports from Italy, China, Seattle. These COVID-19 patients often present with what 
the intensivists and the pulmonologists in these locations are calling silent hypoxia. And what does that mean? That means most of the time when you see somebody with a sat of 80, how do they look? Yeah, they look pretty good. Yeah, well, usually. I mean, not usually. Usually, usually yeah. they look horrible. Yeah, usually they're tachypnic and they're tripoding and they're, and they're struggling to breathe. However, in these COVID patients, they can be 78, 80, 82, and speaking normally. Uh, really minimal distress. So let's try to produce less droplets. Let's try to expose ourselves less because if we do that, there's going to be what? Less transmission. This is a drastic departure from our normal, especially here at MCHD. We take pride in our advanced airway management protocols. We've discussed these on prior podcasts, but you know, from a a DSI standpoint, from a you know, video laryngoscopy standpoint, from a suction standpoint, from an aggressive treatment standpoint, we really are going to have to back off now. Again, protect ourselves, allow ourselves to not be infected so we're there for the patients, and get these patients to the emergency department and to the ICU so they can be better sorted in a more controlled environment, more negative pressure uh, situations, less risky. Hospitals are going to have more information. They're going to have more help, x-ray, lab work, um, respiratory therapist, less healthcare worker transmission overall. So at MCHD, we're avoiding at all costs the following airway maneuvers. Number one, non-rebreather oxygen. Number two, CPAP, BiPAP, non-invasive positive pressure, bag valve mask, and deep suctioning. Now, we're avoiding these at all costs. We're not saying that these are eliminated. We just want to minimize the use of these and make sure that guys and girls out there on the trucks are thinking about when we do use these things, how can we best protect ourselves? So we'll talk about some rare exceptions as we move through. So, Casey, you know, you you spoke about aerosolizing, uh, generating procedures Talk to me, like, how do I tell what flow or what particular, like, what's my threshold to say, gosh, this is risky and it may aerosolize this? It's a million-dollar magic question. There's lots of debate out there in the internet world. Um, definitely up for de- debate, but six liters per minute of flow pops up repeatedly, and that's not a whole lot of flow. We want to try to limit to six liters, but, you know, if not, let's say a patient requires uh, more oxygen than six liters, you decide to put the non-rebreather mask on them. Wait, you got vents, so cover the vents. We can use the electrodes on our EKGs to cover the vents. Also cover them with, with a surgical mask. Remember, if you put the non-rebreather on the patient, put the surgical mask over the non-rebreather, again, decreasing the droplet transmission. Just for reference, a cough generates 400 liters per minute. So we're relying on that mask to protect us from the cough. Realistically, it should also protect us from the non-rebreather as well. So, well, Casey, I mean, what about non-invasive? You spoke of non-invasive positive pressure ventilation. Talk to us about CPAP or BiPAP. I mean, this is a a frequently used intervention in our service and many other services around the nation. So it's high risk. It's both high pressure and high flow. And we're discouraging this at MCHD for a couple reasons. Number one, like, like we talked about over and over in the podcast, provider safety. We want less healthcare worker transmission uh, that we can have. We want to keep our provider safe. The second question is one that's really going to fall back on our clinical acumen, and that is, will non-invasive even help? The pneumonia literature shows no mortality benefit and actually a trend in some studies towards worsening outcomes when using non-invasive in these patients. So we have to remember that 
COVID-19 patients have a viral pneumonia. So if we have a strict, straightforward viral pneumonia patient, NIV is not going to be helpful, potentially harmful. Oftentimes in these patients, high flow nasal cannula is preferred in the ED ICU setting uh, from a lot of reports out of Italy and in uh, China and Hong Kong, South Korea. We don't have that on the truck. Um, so that's really not an option for us. And then we also have some literature from um, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome or MERS, which is another cousin of, of COVID. Evil twin brother. Yeah, and it actually a lot, a lot worse from a mortality standpoint. And the literature from MERS suggests that the non-invasive patients inevitably fail. So another reason why it may not be a great option. But in this COVID-19 era, we're still going to see COPD and CHF patients, patients that we know have mortality benefit and decreased intubation, decreased ICU admission, all those things when using non-invasive positive pressure. So resource utilization is going to come up. We're going to have availability events. These patients may need to be placed on, on CPAP or BiPAP. So NIV is discouraged. It's not eliminated. A couple things to think about as you make the choice. Number one, pick the right patient. If you've got an acute pulmonary edema or an obstructive lung disease picture, that's one where you know CPAP or BiPAP is going to be useful. It's still going to be useful. We want to be careful, and we'll talk about how to be careful with it as we move forward. What we don't want to do is put non-invasive on random shortness of breath patients. We want to make sure we're saying this is rouse and hyperdynamic and acute. Let's put it on the acute, acute pulmonary edema patient. A quick plug in for IV nitrates. <laughs> Bomb the patient with some IV nitrates. You may not need the non-invasive after all. Better for the patient, safer for you. Um, put the filter closest to the patient's mask. And we're going to talk about viral filters in a bit. Want to make sure you cover any suffocation valves if you have those on your BiPAP or CPAP mask so those aren't popping off and spraying virus everywhere. And you want the patient to be calm. We've all seen a thrashing patient with a BiPAP or CPAP mask on. And that's just a recipe for viral spread. And that's... that's a, aerosol generating patient if there is one. So what about bag valve? You mentioned bag valve, uh, Dr. Dixon. Why are we avoiding bag valve masks? So when you really carefully look at these things, A, number one, if you don't have a viral filter, they vent into the back of the truck or the atmosphere that you're in, directly back into the back. That's why the viral filter, and we'll talk more about those in a minute, are, is so important. And also, right, it's exactly like it's non-invasive that you're working correct? I mean, it is high, high flow. It's a, it's an aerosol generating procedure. So we want to really, really reduce that when at all possible. So safest way, viral filter, great seal, uh, to make sure that we, we keep this thing sealed. And remember that the filter is always closest to the patient. So Casey, well, we've talked about non-invasive and bag valve mass, but you know, say you go through your algorithm and you put some nasal cannula oxygen on them and, and you get, go up to six liters, um, but they're still hypoxic. What do I do? So if the patient's hypoxic after six liters, this is our preferential order at MCHD. Number one, non-rebreather, cover the vents using your ECG electrodes, put the surgical mask on the patient and see how they ride. And remember, we're treating patients, not numbers. So if the patient's comfortable at 82 and five liters of nasal cannula, I'd ride to the hospital in this situation. Right. Less is more. That is not our normal, like we said before, but that's that would be number one. Number two, if the patient's agitated at all, thrashing patients or aerosol generating, 
Make sure we're using ketamine liberally. We have lots of experience here with that. Use it like you know how to use it. Number three, if that did not work and the patient was still in distress, I would progress to non-invasive. Good seal, again, and the filter closest to the patient. And remember when we talk about bag valve mask seal, two hands, I neglected to, to interrupt you there, but make sure we're getting a good two-hand seal when we're using our bag valve mask. Make sure we get a good BiPAP or CPAP mask seal when we're using non-invasive. So number one, non-rebreather, cover the vents, cover the patient with a surgical mask, calm the patient with ketamine. If you can't get your oxygenation, your respiratory work of breathing where you want it, move up to non-invasive, good seal, filter closer to the patient. And last but not least, if you have to, we're, we're, and we're gonna have to in some of these folks, we're gonna have to secure an airway. I would say in the era of COVID, I would prefer a superglottic over an endotracheal tube, general less mucking around. That's a very medical term there, but the less mucking, the less aerosol generating you have, the less viral spread. If you do intubate the patient, these best practices are spelled out really similarly across associations, recommendations across the continents. Video laryngoscopy, most, most experienced provider, single attempt if possible, minimal if, no, if not no bagging, no suction, even things like old school stuff, consider pre-treating pre with fentanyl, uh, to minimize coughing. So again, non-rebreather, covering the holes, covering the patient, ketamine, non-invasive, filter closest to the patient, good seal, and then on to airway uh, securing with an SGA or an endotracheal tube. Yeah, that's a great review. So let's move on to rule number two, closed systems. You know, we got to assume that any exhalation of a patient is spewing all into the atmosphere, right? Leaks from any mask or non-invasive or what any airway device could equal viral spread, aerosolized viral spread. So too many equipment variations essentially to discuss. But one of the one of the lessons learned the last two weeks here is you got to know your equipment, right? You got to know where your filters are. You have to know how to put this stuff together. Please refer to a couple of our podcast 360s uh, that Casey and I did, and we did with uh, Brad Ward to look at at how we set up our kit here, but know your kit guys and know how it's set up. You know, the next point would be don't randomly suction patients, right? Like when Dr. Patrick says minimize suction, he doesn't mean to not have it ready and available when you need it. Um, but we wanna, we wanna limit any, air, any unnecessary entry into the patient's airway because why? Anytime that we do that, we can allow for virus to escape. Obviously, it's required sometimes, but you got to be judicious. And in any aerosol generating procedure, N95 masks is preferred, right? So wear your PPE, wear a gown, glasses, gloves, or, or double gloves, which is actually being recommended quite a bit now, uh, and your N95 respirator. So, Casey, let's talk about these respirators N95 and proper, it's called a respirator or a filter. Talk to us about these filters and, you know, what does this mean? How big is this virus? How, how well are these things protecting us? So let's talk about N95 masks. Uh, N95 masks filter 95% of particles uh, at the size of 0.3 microns. Uh, the SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus or the virus that's causing COVID-19 is 0.125 microns. You may ask, well, if it's a 0.3 micron filter and the virus is smaller than that, how is it filtering it? It's because that virus is suspended in droplets and the droplets are 
uh, larger. So that's what those uh, masks, that's what that N95 means. Uh, HEPA filter is what you're going to need at your uh, connection closest to the patient. And that filters 100% at 0.01 or one hundredth of a micron. So many brands, many varieties. Check with your materials department. Respiratory therapists are excellent resources in this. They know these filters and the connections and the tubing way better than the physicians do most of the time. They can be a really excellent resource. Uh, what about some practical filter tips? That's some dorky stuff. What, what's some practical filter tips, Dr. Dixon? You know, the most practical one is put the filter on first. Remember, the filter should always be closest to the patient. Avoid mani manipulation and exposure. Remember, sometimes we're uh, intubating these patients. We're swapping from a bag valve mask to maybe a ventilator. Make sure that you clamp or put your thumb over the end of the tube. We don't want virus under pressure to escape into the atmosphere. Um, filter closest to the patient and always double check the capability of these filters to make sure you're using the right filter. So what about NEBS? Can we survive as a species without NEBS? I mean, this is kind of our, uh, one of our comfort, comfort medications. We like to see the, the smoke in the back of the ambulance. We just rolled out or working on rolling out a protocol here at MCHD to use MDI albuterol, a meter dose uh, inhaler uh, albuterol with a homemade spacer using existing supplies on, on most every ambulance. Uh, check again our MCHD YouTube channel. You can see what we uh, put together for, to use as our spacer. But really, even before that, consider the actual need for nebulized medication. We often, doctors, uh, paramedics alike, reflexively give breathing treatments for most short of breath patients. But in this era, we really need to stop and listen for wheezes. Albuterol is not going to make a drastic impact on viral pneumonia patients. Now, you say it's a 19-year-old asthma patient, tight, shark fin in tidal tracing tiring. So you've given me the perfect picture. You've been a clinician. It's an asthma patient. How can we activate those beta twos? Uh, there's been discussion online about tributylene. I've never used tributylene. I'm pretty old. So it's a, it's an old medicine. We've discussed it here at MCHD. We, we feel like with an unfamiliar med, your increased uh, med error risk is not worth uh, the benefit that we would get. And, you know, we have a tried and true beta agonists on the truck that we are familiar with, and that's epinephrine. 0.3 milligrams IM in your asthmatics, use that early. Again, not indicated for COPD, just to be clear, but for our asthma patients, move to that epi quickly, especially more quickly than you would have in the past. And really, this is an example of multiple differing views. Some in the UK feel NEBS are safe. Most in the United States, Australia, Canada seem to disagree. We are going to make the hard and fast statement here at MCHD that we're not going to use uh, nebulized albuterol, if at all possible. I'm going to not use it in my clinical practice. Dr. Dixon, do you agree? Totally agree, Casey. And what I hate to see is other people use it in theirs because I have to deliver a patient to someone and then they start a neb and potentially putting, putting me at risk. Um, so the pushback, Casey, would be, where's the literature? Is there literature to support that these are equal treatments? Are we cheating the patient? I know that, that uh, albuterol is not really in my practice. It's not been this life-saving medication. Um, where's, the, where's the literature? Is there literature out there to support the, the equivalency of the MDI and spacer versus the uh, nebulized? This is actually some old stuff that was around when I was in residency, you know, 15 years ago. There's several studies. One of the bigger ones in chest in 2002. We'll link the, uh, 
link the reference in the show notes, but they looked at 1,400 patients in the emergency department prospectively, so pretty pretty solid study design. They compared albuterol by MDI versus albuterol nebulized in acute asthma attacks, and the patients who received albuterol via MDI had a shorter ED stay, had improved O2 sats, improved peak flows, and less return visits to the ED or less bounce back as compared to nebulized albuterol. So we all love the magic smoke, but maybe it's not really as magic as we think. And so, again, if you want to check out uh, a remedy for having a spacer on the back of the truck, because we looked at spacers, pretty expensive, uh, cost prohibitive for us. We used some of the supplies we have in, in the truck that really made a nice makeshift spacer. Check it out at our MCHD uh, YouTube channel. If you're in a service out there where you don't have access to MDIs, um, you know, they're expensive, they're being bought out, um, allow, allow your medics to administer the patient's own medication. If the patient is a COPD or an asthma patient. Yeah, they're going to have it. How many, how many patients have you run on with chronic uh, lung disease that don't have their own albuterol puffer? So the simplest thing is utilize there. And the other thing we're hearing from our colleagues in hospital have bring those to the hospital with the patient because they're likely going to get that medication, their own medication. Remember, um, we're in a different era than we were a couple of weeks ago, and this stuff is getting very, very difficult to uh, to buy. Uh, I can't emphasize uh, enough: early epi in the truly sick asthma patient is life saving. Zero point three milligrams IM of one to one thousand. Be careful of this to not, you got to make the right diagnosis. This is, can be a, a bit of a dangerous medication in an older COPD patient with vascular disease. So just be careful of that. So we've hit two rules. We've talked about less is more. We've talked about closed systems. And we're going to close with rule three and four here and wrap up. Uh, rule three, hold CPR when you're in the airway. Tell us what we mean, Dr. Dixon. So, I mean, it's simple stuff. Don't splash the airway manager with the virus, right? The airway manager is, is sitting over at the head of the bed with the patient, and we're putting positive pressure into the chest. That is going to transmit to an open airway and out in the environment. Put a patient on a surgical mask on the patient during CPR. We're doing that. We implemented that at, at MCHD last week. On every code, our FROs are putting a, a, a surgical mask over Wear full PPE, so gloves, gown, eye protection, N95 during CPR. Remember, this can be aerosol generating, just the CPR itself. It's debatable, but I would err on the side of caution. Um, and, you know, the question that we're kicking around now is, should we be performing routine CPR in uh, patients, and certainly in suspected COVID-19 patients? There is no clear answer. There are ethical considerations I'm sure we will all encounter and have to answer in our own services shortly. And that leads us perfectly into rule four, and that is your safety as the paramedic and the provider is key. We've got to think about community good. This is a disaster situation. This is an ethical change. This is difficult for us all to, to stomach, but we've got to stop. We've got to take our time with our PPE, and this is in those situations where we normally do what we normally run in head first and we have to keep ourselves safe. We have to keep ourselves healthy. Otherwise there's no one else there. If we're all sick and we're all quarantined, there's no one to take care of the patients. So that's a good spot for us to wrap up. Let's hit the high points again. One more time. First off, less is more. 
we've changed not 180 degrees, but this is a 170 degree switch for us here. The less you can be in the airway, the better. The less aerosol generation you have, the less risk of healthcare worker transmission there is. Remember, if you have MDIs, use MDIs over NEBs. We know that they're equivalent, if not better, from tons of good research. What's our order? Non nasal cannula to start. Non-rebreather, cover the vents, cover the patient with a surgical mask, make sure the patient's calm, move to non-invasive with a filter where closest to the patient. If patient's still in distress and we're in that situation where we need to control the airway, best operator, best view, I would prefer a superglottic over an endotracheal tube just for ease of insertion and less time in the airway. And again, remember, we're going to tolerate some of that silent hypoxia. So if you see that patient that's 82% and they're not in extremis, this is a situation where riding to the hospital may be the best treatment for the patient and the safest treatment for you. Dr. Dixon, anything you want to add? Yeah, I mean, I would. I think those are great points. The other, the other things I would reiterate is, you know, remember your closed circuit. Um, use those filters. Use those PEEP valves. Treat CPR for now as an aerosol-generating procedure. Remember, make sure you cover the patient's face with a, a, a surgical mask. And just remember, guys, your safety is key out there. As Dr. Patrick said a couple times, we're, we're in a different era than we were a couple of weeks ago, um, and we're going to need to make some changes to our practice in order to stay safe so we can look after our patients and our services out here. As always, thanks for listening to the podcast. Hopefully we can come back soon with a non-COVID episode, but for now, it's where we're at as a service, where we're at as emergency providers, where we're at as a country. So stay safe, all you listeners. Leave us a like, leave us a review where you listen to podcasts. Check out the MCHD YouTube page for some videos uh, directly related to this podcast. And as always, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.